Looking back at life 100 years ago in Kilkenny, this is the History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. Coming up to eight minutes past six and you're very welcome along to the penultimate episode of the History Show here on KCLR. I'm John Moynihan and thanks so much for tuning in once again as we figuratively rewind the clock 100 years to Kilkenny in 1922. Tonight we're exclusively taking a look back at the burning of Woodstock House in Inishteag 100 years ago. Coming up, our resident Kilkenny historian Owen Swithin Walsh explains the story of, and indeed leading up to, the burning of the big house. We'll have a montage of the burning of Woodstock radio drama that aired here on KCLR on Sunday evening and information as to how you can hear it back in full. And we'll hear more about the passing of the popular Lady Louisa Thai and the subsequent handover of the Woodstock land and gardens to Quilche. A packed show ahead as always. I hope you stay with me for it. As normal, communication is a two-way street, so I'd love to hear from you. If you want to get in touch with the programme, you can text me on the KCLR text and WhatsApp line. That's on 083-306-9696. And that, of course, is in association with dinnersready.ie. Or you can email the programme at thehistoryshow at kclr96fm.com. And you can listen back to previous episodes of The History Show online at kclr96fm.com forward slash thehistoryshow or or on the KCLR app. But first this evening, we're headed out to the beautiful, picturesque Kilkenny village of Inishtig, and indeed to the area which we'll be discussing over the course of the next hour, Woodstock House and Gardens. Eddie Cody is the son of the late Willie Cody. Willie, throughout his working life, was the estate manager of Woodstock House and Gardens. This very important and prominent position gifted Eddie unrivaled access to the remains of the house, the grounds, the records and indeed the many famous stories about the estate during his youth as he frequented the site with his father. Last week I headed out to Woodstock House with Eddie as he told me some of the stories and folklore from the area and as we began our tour of the grounds Eddie was immediately struck with a memory of something very interesting that his father once told him. My father told, told me that when he was a young fellow, they would get a day off from school uh, when there would be a, a sports held here, a sports day held here in Woodstock. And all the school children would come up and the toys would come uh, out across the terrace there from the main house and they would sit there in that round seat. That's a round seat. You'd ah. see it when we go up onto the terrace. And uh, the sports would be held along here. At that time, this was all a green area. That roadway was not there in my young days or in Woodstock times. And the sports would be held along there. And he said that Edward Toy would come with a white enamel bucket full of uh, pennies and threepence pieces and sixpences. And he would stand there in the round uh, seat and uh, he would throw the white enamel bucket <laughs> and all the coins would would uh, land around here and all the school children would run to pick up the coins. And that's, uh, that's many years ago when my father told me that story. But in more... 
back maybe 20 years ago, myself and a friend of mine who has a metal detector, he wanted to come up here to search around the place. So he asked me if I would come with him. So we came up and we looked all around the place. And when we were passing along here, all lots and lots of pennies and sixpences and threepences turned up and we wondered what where they all came from in this small area here and then i thought of the story my father told me isn't that amazing so buried from times gone by yes and there were all what i remember what i remember about the pennies they were all english pennies of Of course. course we were under British rule at that Yes, that, that in itself is a sign of the times, wasn't it? Yeah, yes, it was, yeah. Oh, there were lots of them there, I suppose. They got lost in the grass and the school children didn't find them. My father, <coughs> I would come up here with him when I was a young fella and he was the manager here. And uh, I remember him pointing out that tree to me. Uh, he would talk about all the species of trees that were around uh, in the gardens here, in the Mm. Arboretum. And he particularly pointed out that one to me, I remember. And he said, if you look there, you'll see there are two different type of leaves on that tree. For instance, if you look there, John, you'll see one coarse-looking type of leaf. yeah. And look in the other part, and it's completely different leaves. Yeah, one one seems to be much brighter than the other, I think, is it? They are, yes, yes. Uh, And he said that tree was somehow pruned in such a way that two trees were pruned into into one. And I think one of the old, uh, the original workmen on the the estate in the gardens, uh, who are still alive in my very young days, and I think he told my father uh, about uh, pointed out that tree in particular to my father. And he also told my father that this part of the garden here, which <clears throat> my father always called the croaky grounds, he told my father that this was the last part of the gardens that were made that were created by Lady Louisa Toy. They were levelled out. And he also told my father that the soil there on the croaky grounds, it's a special type of loamy soil. And it was brought by horse and cart from Mount Brandon over across the valley there. Yes. And used this topsoil there to create the nice lawn that you see there, even at the present day. So here we are, Eddie, and we're kind of up at the, uh, I suppose, the, the entrance to the garden way. We're looking at the house now from the, the eastern direction, I think it is. And um, I suppose, what, what are your first thoughts upon seeing this place now once again? Any memories, say, of being with your father, for example? Yes, I certainly have. Uh, here where we're looking at the sunken panels in the front of the house, uh, in my young days, all that place had overgrown and the what were originally shrubs in there, in the sunken panels, had uh, be, grown wild and they were maybe 15, 20 feet high. And one day, 
you, you couldn't, it would be hard to walk in through the shrubbery because it had gone wild over the years and uh, gone, gone, gone so thick that you couldn't, hard to walk through it. But one day, my father uh, brought me, he made a pathway in through the shrubbery, and, which was 15, 20 feet high. And I felt like uh, what I had afterwards seen in the films, uh, an explorer in Africa making his way in through the, in through the jungle or the bush or yeah. something. And uh, when we went in, when we got into the middle there, I couldn't believe what I saw. Uh, in the middle of all this overgrown shrubbery, here was this magnificent big granite urn. Right. I couldn't believe it when I saw it in, in the middle of all this uh, overgrown shrubbery. And there was one on, uh, in the centre of each sunken panel. They have replaced them now, as you see, with a, a small, smaller white urn. The original was a big, big, uh, big granite urn with a, a, a round cut stone surround. And in that cut stone surround were a blue type of tile that had been uh, broken up into or maybe one inch pieces. And uh, it was deliberately done that way by the company that manufactured them. And uh, they were spread in this round bed, flower bed, that surrounded each urn. And they created a blue colour effect. And I heard afterwards that that, that, wa that was to create uh, some colour in the garden in the winter time. And it was, this area was known as the winter garden. And these blue pieces of tile added colour in okay. the winter time. They'd be the same blue now as the blue you'd see on a on a summer's day in wow. the sky. Okay. Same blue as that. Yeah. 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 So it was easy to imagine that they they, they added a bit of colour to an otherwise otherwise colourless place in the middle of winter. As I look out here as well and we look at the kind of overgrown shrubbery around the house, the, the remains of the house indeed, I can't help but think that a lot has changed over the last hundred years here. Oh, indeed, yes, yes. It, during Woodstock time, there was a cast iron stairway, a big wide cast iron stairway that went up to the to the one of the windows there, in the, in the right in the middle of the ruins. And uh, that was the main, uh, the main entrance uh, from the, from the terraced garden here, where we are. That was the, the this cast iron stairway, was the main entrance uh, up and into the house. Uh, yeah, I can remember that being there. And uh, then, during, after the war years, I was very young at the time. People would be up here on a Sunday afternoon. And uh, the Thai family were afraid that some ch child would fall off some of these things, and there were uh, there were ca a lot of cast iron things around the place, uh, ornaments around the garden, 
and they were broken up at that time and uh, they were sold. I think it was Hammond Lane Foundry uh, came here and, and, and broke up any old cast iron things and took them away. So I suppose a little bit about the house then. Um, do you ever remember, I suppose, being anywhere near the inside of the house or anything? Or Oh, yes. Yes, I was often, often in through the house. Um, it's all railed off now, as you can see. Um, but in my young days, you could go in around through it, and often we did when we were young fellas. We'd be exploring, and we'd go down into the basement, and I remember there's a long hallway that goes from the upper side of the house right down through the main house and down through the wing of the house and out down at the very end. But halfway down through the house, uh, this long hallway, as it was called, I heard my father calling it that, uh, there was a, a way into... Uh, a dark room. I'm sure it must have been a cellar, a wine cellar. And uh, we, as young fellas, called it the dungeon because it was black dark in there. And I remember my father bringing me in there one one day. Uh, we, we were in in the basement of the ruins of the house and he brought me into this dungeon and he lit some matches and showed me pencilled on the walls were the names of IRA prisoners who were brought here during the time of the Black and Tan, when the Black and Tans occupied the house. They would bring their prisoners here from the surrounding counties and they would keep them there overnight or maybe for a couple of nights and then they would bring, bring them away to a jail somewhere, maybe wherever, Spike Island or Kilkenny Jail or wherever they brought them. Where a number of Kilkenny men, of course, were interned over the years as well, isn't that right? They were, yeah. Mm. But I remember seeing some of the... They, they gave their address. They wrote their... Not their full address. They just wrote the county that they came from. And you might see maybe... Uh, Johnny Murphy from uh, County Tipperary okay. or Johnny somebody else from County Waterford you saw that type of thing right. yeah and in terms of obviously it's a hundred years ago now since uh, the burning of the house here is it something that your father ever regaled you with many memories of oh he did yes yes he often spoke of when he was a schoolboy and uh, a telegram, when telegrams would have to be delivered to the house there. And he would sometimes deliver the telegram and he would come up and come in through the courtyard there and he would come up to the door going in the hallway that I mentioned a minute ago. And there was a bell there, he said, that he would pull on the cord and the bell would ring somewhere inside in the house. And the butler then would come, when the bell rang, a butler would come with a silver tray and my father would put the telegram on the silver tray and the butler would bring it on into the, into the family. Obviously, um, 
you're a native of Inishtig yourself. It's obviously a, a, a big addition to your local economy and your, to your cultural life out here, uh, Woodstock House and the gardens indeed. Um, but what, what does Woodstock mean for you now? It's, it's a lovely place to come and, and to walk and to relax. And uh, it's lovely to see people, visitors coming here and walking around through the gardens at their leisure. And it's a lovely facility to have uh, near near the village. And do you think now that obviously it's 100 years since the burning of the house, is this a timely opportunity for people to maybe re-familiarise themselves with the history of Woodstock House and Gardens? Uh, Yes, yes, I think so. Um, Because it has an interesting history down through the years, in the latter years, with the, when, when it was taken over by the Black and Tans, and uh, pre- previous to that then, you had the well-known old lady who lived there. She lived there in the Woodstock House for many years, uh, Lady Louisa Toy. Mm. And she, she carried out many of the improvements to the gardens. Uh, during her lifetime. She was the daughter of the British ambassador to Belgium. There was a famous ball held in her father's house um, on the eve of the Battle of Waterloo. And the ball was attended by uh, the Duke of Wellington, who was Lady Louisa's godfather. And she was only a very young girl on the, when this ball took place. And during the course of the evening, the call to arms came and he gave her the honor, the Duke of Wellington gave Lady Louisa the honor of buckling on his sword. And in return, he gave her a present of his gold watch. And uh, I believe the Thai family still have that gold watch. Such a big thank you to Eddie Cody there for speaking to us on the History Show this evening, recounting some of his vast knowledge and indeed memories relating to Woodstock House and Gardens. Eddie gave me so much more interesting information besides what you've heard so far this evening and I'm delighted to say that we'll be hearing the rest of our chat on next week's final episode of the History Show here on KCLR. Right now it's time for a commercial break but don't go away because when we come back we're going to be playing a montage from the Burning of Woodstock radio drama which aired here on KCLR on Sunday evening. Keep it tuned right here to the History Show. I'll be back shortly. Turning the clock back to 1922, you're listening to The History Show on KCLR with thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. And you're very welcome back. On Sunday evening gone here on KCLR, we were treated to a fantastic radio drama on the very topic that we're currently discussing, the burning of Woodstock House. The piece, commissioned by the Heritage Office in Kilkenny County Council, was written and directed by Gillian Grattan and was brilliantly produced by KCLR's Martin Bridgman. It also featured many names familiar to you from various drama circles across the county and beyond. Right now here on The History Show, we're going to listen back to a very short short montage of just some of the highlights of the burning of Woodstock Ray radio drama from Sunday evening. 
gentle time, thy gradual healing hand hath stolen from sorrow grasp the envenomed dart. Submitting to thy skill, my passive heart feels that no grief can thy soft power withstand. And though my aching breast still heaves the sigh, though oft the tear swells silent in mine eye, yet the keen pang, the agony is gone. Sorrow and I shall part, and these faint throes are but the remnant of severer woes. And when the furious tempest is o'erblown, and when the sky has wept its violence, the opening heavens will oft let fall a shower, the poor o'ercharged boughs still drops dispense, and still the loaded streams in torrents pour. Time, a beautiful piece from poet Mary Ty, an impressive woman in her day, and those words still resonate today. Kilkenny Moderator, Saturday 24th of September, 1892. What a charm the name Woodstock has for Kilkenny folk. Thousands of them, young and old, have seen the Red House, the Swiss Cottage, and all the many charming sights which are to be witnessed in and around the beautiful home and domain of Lady Louisa Ty of Woodstock House. The magnificent park was as crowded as ever, with visitors from all parts of the county on Sunday last. But it was evident that the end of the season is fast drawing to a close, for visitors to this most charming spot in Old Kilkenny. New Ross Standard, Saturday 17th of March 1900. Lady Louisa Madeline Ty, who died at Woodstock in Ashtig, in beautiful Kilkenny where she spent the last three quarters of a century, was a wonderful old lady of 97. She was, until quite near the end, in the best of health, and as straight and upright as a girl in her teens. My lords, my question is concerned with the claim against the imperial government for destruction and damage to furniture and effects at a mansion known as Woodstock in the county of Kilkenny, caused by the Royal Irish Constabulary Auxiliary Forces known as the Black and Tans. When this mansion was taken over by the Auxiliary Forces, all the valuable articles of furniture and effects belonging to Mrs. Ty were removed by her and locked in certain rooms of the mansion, which were not required for the occupation of the auxiliary force. The locked rooms in which Mrs. Ty had placed all her most cherished possessions and heirlooms were forcibly into, and many articles were willfully burnt and totally destroyed. I beg to be allowed to recommend the case of Mrs. Ty to the favourable consideration of His Majesty's Government, and if they will at least show some sympathy towards her claim. Men here heard marching up towards the main gate at 1am, and a quantity of petrol was stolen from Mr. Kenny's garage in Innishteag. Who was responsible? Men tasked with the specific job of burning down big houses. It had to be something like that. Some who'd been trained to do a job of that kind. The Ties were good people. They'd always been good employers in the area. I don't believe any local men were involved in the burning. I genuinely think it was a specialised job. If such a job was done by someone who didn't know what they were at, sure, they'd have been blown to smithereens, to kingdom come. Fimber, this was a time of conflict. 
Surely a lot of these men had experience in respect of those kind of activities. It was someone who knew what they were doing and how to do it safely. Sweet, pious muse, whose chastely graceful form delighted oft amid these shades to stray, to their loved master breathing many a lay divinely soothing. Oh, be near to charm for me the languid hours of pain, and warm this heart depressed with one inspiring ray from such bright visions as were wont to play. Around his favourite brow, when to disarm the soul's subduing powers of mortal ill, thy soft voice lured him to his ivied seat, his classic roses, or his heathy hill. Or by yon trickling fount delayed his feet, Beneath his own dear oaks, when present still, the melodies of heaven thou didst unseen repeat. Just a short snippet there of the hour-long radio drama The Burning of Woodstock, written and directed by Gillian Grattan and produced by our Martin Bridgman. With that in full on the KCLR website and on the KCLR app in the daily catch-up section, just keep scrolling down. It's not too far down the list at the moment, so you should be able to find it very easily indeed. And enjoy it, because it really is a fantastic production and everybody involved. Right now it's time for another commercial break, but when we come back, we'll be hearing from our resident historian Owen Swithin Walsh, who will be explaining the wider context leading up to the burning of the big house. You're on The History Show with John Moynihan. Do stay tuned. The History Show on KCLR, with thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. Tuesday nights from 6. This is KCLR's History Show. And you're welcome back to part 3 of the History Show. Now, Owen Swithin Walsh is no stranger to the programme and we're delighted that he's back this evening to give us a broad overview as to the circumstances and context leading up to the burning of Woodstock House in Inishteag in July 1922. I, I suppose just to kind of rewind and get the idea of this, these big houses, um, there was this mushrooming of the building of these big, we just call them big houses because that's what everyone knows them as, these bank kind of aristocratic houses from the wealthy landlords of each area. And there was a bit of a competition, I suppose, from the early 1700s, where each one trying to outdo another one with their homes, with how how much, um, you know, kind of architecture and how much kind of craft they could get into. So they are beautiful. A lot of the landlords that set these up would have been... Um, would have been from, you know, the people that would have inherited large states in Ireland after Cromwellian Wars. So in the 1650s, Cromwell uh, couldn't pay all the soldiers who had fought in Ireland for him. So what he did is the land he had confiscated or taken over, he he gave, he paid out in land. Most famously, of course, in South Kilkenny, the Besborough estate, uh, the Besborough, the Ponsonbys, or the, uh, or, or was the surname, they were the people who had given uh, Cromwell all the horses that he used during the Cromwellian uh, Wars. And to pay him off for the thousands of horses, because horses are very important, uh, he gave them, you know, tens of thousands of acres. And and, and that's a, a kind of a lot of the, fa- the, the, fa- the big landlords around Kilkenny and around Ireland comes from that. But some of them are even older. They go back, they go back even further, back uh, uh, centuries before that. So the Woodstock estate uh, was originally, the there was family on it. The ties, uh, with their descendants then going down 
two generations were the Thais because basically there's a daughter and she married the Thai and the Thais are from Wicklow and that's where the Thai name comes from. The, the house itself was started in 1737 and as I said, this is the era of big Georgian building and when we say Georgian architecture, we're, there, there's only four King Georges on the, on the throne of England. That's why it's called Georgian. 1713 to 1830, hope my dates are right there. And what they harped back to this Georgian architecture was the neoclassical, so the, the Greeks and the Romans. And what's nice about that is everything is in symmetry. So if you, even if you look or your listeners get a, a picture of the Woodstock House online, but any of the other big Georgian houses, even Leinster House, for example, in Dublin, we, we see that in the news every night. The Georgian architecture of that and the Palladian is the style and just an, a, 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 a Palladius was an architect from Rome and that's why it's called Palladian. But it was, again, uh, everything's in symmetry. So all the windows are equidistanced. Everything balances up. Even the chimneys along the roof will all balance up. So there's nothing else of sort. I call Georgian architecture pe- architecture for people with OCD like myself, uh, where everything is all nice and neat and everything is the space between all the windows. They get smaller as they get up, but everything looks balanced and, and symmetrical and neat. And this is an example of that. Uh, the one thing I like about Woodstock or the house used to be, had these lovely porthole windows um, it, uh, at kind of the basement or lower level, which is quite, quite unusual. But anyway, that's the house that gets built. And the architect was a guy called Francis Biden, or Francis Binden, I should say. And he was a clear architect and artist as well. And he built three houses in Kilkenny at this time. And they're all around the same time. It's from uh, 1735 up to 1745. He's starting all these. So there's all these big houses being built and he builds three of them. He builds Castle and Morris in, uh, which is near Nakhtofer, New Marcus area that's gone now. Uh, he also builds um, the uh, Bessborough House in Piltown, which um, was another house that was born in the Civil War, but we'll talk about that in a second. But And also this one here in Blair. And there's different uh, there's different generations of them, of course. Lots of them are named William, so it's easy to guess it's William Ty. The most well-known one, as people know, is Lady Louisa Ty, who was married into Woodstock. She came from the famous Lennox family. The Lennox family were dukes, uh, a dukedom, so the the um, Duke of Richmond's families, and and uh, the Lennox family were very well got, shall we say? And Lady Louisa was. Um, I suppose you could say she married beneath her by marrying someone who's only a, a, um, a had a knighthood, but not, nothing else. Uh, so they, she they married the daughter. He married William Fine, married the daughter of a duke. And or sorry, William Ty, and uh, your Lady Louisa is is in Woodstock from eighteen twenty five to nineteen hundreds, and it's the one everyone remembers. She was a goddaughter of the of the Duke of Wellington, uh, Victor of Bat- Waterloo, and all that, uh, because her family was in the diplomatic corps and um, Belgium at the time of the uh, the Battle of Waterloo. Anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. But she's the one that people remember in the Steve because she gave a lot of money to the community. They gave lots of. Um, Provided a lot of employment. She kind of had the gates open at Woodstock. So, um, you know, people would have came in that wouldn't have been allowed in usually. Um, so um, she was very well liked and well respected there. And she won the effort into the gardens of Woodstock. Um, even some of the, the, the layouts that are still there to this very day, of course, owned by the council now, kind of available for everyone to walk around. Uh, she is the one that laid out the gardens and spent a lot of money doing that and had professional gardens and professional groundskeepers look after it all. So she was there up to 1900. She lived to the age of 97, which is a big age then because life expectancy was only about, I don't know, 54 or 53 or something around that neck of the woods. So uh, she, uh, she was there when she died 
in 1900s, her grandnephew-in-law inherited. So it was me- meant to be kept in the family, if you know what I mean. So the ties would get us. And um, so her grandnephew-in-law lived there till about 1912. And then only uses a summer residence. Uh, Edward, I think his name was Edmund. I always get mixed up. Uh, he met a sad end. He actually was murdered during a, a botch England in 1917. Someone just killed him when they were robbing the house of jewellery and stuff. Anyway, uh, it's, so when we get around to the Irish Revolutionary period, uh, 1919 up to 1922 when it's burnt down, Woodstock is owned by that gentleman's wife, Viola Ty, and she would have had the house uh, in perpetuity for her own son eventually, And even though he was killed in World War II, but that was uh, who owned it then. So I suppose Woodstock is most famous during the executive centenaries, as it is the hope where auxiliaries are based in Kilkenny, but not just for Kilkenny, for the whole southeast region. So they're the auxiliaries that are, would go into Waterford, into Kilkenny, Arlo and Wexford. Okay, so they are, and the auxiliaries are this heavy gang that Churchill, uh, Winston Churchill came up with, that they're going to fight fire with fire uh, in, in regards to the IRA and the gloves are off type thing and that's where they are based out of Woodstock. It's just that it's kind of uh, an area central to the southeast and also they can protect us well. So because the Thais weren't living there, they were paid rent by the British government uh, for us. Um, uh, so it was just a kind of a, a central base they could have in, in southeast uh, Ireland and in obviously the south of Kilkenny. So they're there. People, it's not liked. A lot of the IRA local lads around the area are brought there and interrogated and tortured basically is no other way of putting it tortured there to extract extract information and with the auxiliaries they're kind of even worse than the black and tans even though people used to call them black and tans black and tans were mostly based in RIC barracks uh, they were kind of bad enough but the auxiliaries had kind of no rules applied and they could do what they want they did not really have to answer to anyone so a lot of people have traumatic memories shall we say of Woodstock and being interrogated there and then um, the auxiliaries are there right from August 1920 is when they start paying rent to ties and they're there right through the War of Independence um, and Ernie O'Malley of course is interrogated there's also some very good video clips uh, that were of, of Pate Cinema Reel that was filmed there in Woodstock that's used in a lot of documentaries now with the auxiliaries going at the front door of Woodstock. They're also ringing a hostage up the steps of Woodstock and they're also there's a video footage of them in Inishtig on the hill in Inishtig. So um, it's um, it's one of the only ones that we have of the auxiliaries in action, shall we say, uh, and it's used a lot in documentaries. But they're there and they're right there. So all of, 19, sorry, end of 1920, so it's, and in the last eight months of the War of Independence, from January right through to July um, uh, 1921. And then when the truce is on, they're there for the next six months. So they're there till January 1922. Then the treaty is signed, of course, and the treaty is approved by the Dáil. And in the middle of January 1922, uh, they move out. And they're they're kind of being disbanded and they literally go, go to the train station in Thomastown and off they go up to Dublin and they're disbanded. Two days later, the IRA move into Woodstock and take it over on behalf of what we say the Irish government is. They take it over 19th January 1922. And this is the United IRA, if we can call them that. So they haven't split yet, you know, so it's not anti-treaty free state as such. A, it's the IRA that was kind of always there. But because that was a British army base during the War of 
Independence Day or you know to one say British Army but a crowded force the auxiliary brace they believe they should take it over now as, as they are the new um, the new army of the area so there's a handful of people that stay there and a lot of the locals local IRA men would have stayed there um, kind of billeted there for the next few months and then the IRA split then in March and you have companies call it pro-treaty and anti-treaty IRA or from the call it free states and anti-treaty IRA uh, there, when the Battle of Kilkenny takes place on the first, second third of May, there's sniping attacks down the Woodstock at the Free State Garrison because the, the people in in the Woodstock are with the government, pro the government, pro the um, the Free State uh, uh, Army, and they end up sniping at them, attacking Woodstock um, as the Battle of Kilkenny is happening just in the days after it. But then there's kind of a, a, a truce agreement sorted out again, and but the minute the this is where the kind of face of Woodstock is sealed when the the civil war breaks out and we counted from the 28th of June 1922 a Wednesday morning when the shelling of the forecourt starts the minute that happens reinforcements are are required in Dublin so the Free State Army the fledgling Free State Army which is made up of kind of ex-IRA mostly uh, they are very very small at this stage there's not enough of them to go around so they request any Free State soldiers in Kilkenny or a good chunk of them to get up to Dublin to help them out uh, for the Battle of Dublin, which happens in the first week of July, 1922. And the Free State move out of Woodstock. They move they move out literally in the morning of the 28th of June. It's that quick. And we think a lot of them actually end up just garrisoning the barracks in Kilkenny. So the commander in Kilkenny barracks goes, oh my God, the civil war is broken out. Nearly my whole company here of soldiers out of uh, James Stevens Barracks, as it became in Kilkenny, are gone up to Dublin. So, what happens if the anti treaty attack me now in Kilkenny? So, he asked the guys in Woodstock to just abandon Woodstock, waste of having you down there, come up, to, come up to Kilkenny and look after the military barracks up Kilkenny first. And that's basically what happened. So, now Woodstock House is left with nobody in it. And the anti-treaty IRA uh, have been given a um, command. Any free state barracks that are, had been there or that's left ungarrisoned should be destroyed. The anti-treaty guys in buildings should also burn down or destroy any of their own garrisons if they have to leave them. So we see this happening all over the place. So, for example, the Granville Hotel in Waterford later on in July 1922, it's booby-trapped in mines. So for when the Free State Comet will burn down, the exact, exact same happens at the anti-treaty base in the Battle of Dublin. It's Barry's Hotel, which is still there today, where people go during go, when go, they go to J matches in Grove Park. That's all also booby-trapped. And the idea is that we don't want the Free State to re-garrison these places. And that's exactly what happens with Woodstock. Uh, the local IRA are given orders to, right, that's a Free State garrison. There's nobody in it now. Burn it down. And that's basically what happens to Woodstock House. So on the 2nd of July, just a few so that's on Wednesday 2nd July is the early hours of a Sunday morning just a few days after the civil war breaks out local anti-treaty IRA take petrol from a local garage in Indian Steak Village and bring their own petrol or however, however much they can get their hands on they go up to Woodstock break in into the house they uh, break some windows to create a draft they also try to pile in any furniture they can get into the middle of all these fours uh, display the petrol around the place and set the building on fire. And that's basically what happened. The main bulk of the Georgian house is burnt down. Uh, a bit of the servants' quarter wing attached is saved, but the building is basically ablaze uh, pretty quickly on that uh, Saturday morning.
A huge thank you once again to Kilkenny historian Owen Swithin Walsh there for his unrivaled knowledge and ability to recount the various important moments in our local history. I should mention at this stage that Owen's book was a huge source of help and information for me throughout the making of the entire series and I couldn't recommend it any higher. It's entitled Kilkenny in Times of Revolution 1900 to 1923 and I've been reliably informed that while it's out of stock in the book centre in Kilkenny at the moment that it is in stock in the Waterford book centre and other book centres nationwide. It's also available from the Irish Academic Press website. Owen also presents a monthly Kilkenny History podcast on the Kilkenny Library website, kilkennylibrary.ie. It's time for our last break of the evening, but when we come back, we'll be hearing about the passing of Lady Louisa Ty and what was to become of the grounds at Woodstock House. Talk to you in a bit. Exploring the lives and events of 100 years ago in Kilkenny. The History Show on KCLR. With thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gaeltacht, Sport and Media. You're listening to The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. And you're very welcome back to the final part of tonight's History Show here on KCLR. Now we're going to hear a bit more about Lady Louisa Ty and the handing over of the Woodstock House estate. William Frederick Founds Ty married Lady Louisa Lennox in April 1825, one of 14 children born to the guardsman and duelist Colonel Charles Lennox, later 4th Duke of Richmond. Her marriage was not approved of by her mother, who had married off three of her daughters to dukes and a fourth to a marquess. While her marriage was approved of by her elder brother, the 5th Duke of Richmond, she nonetheless came to the marriage without a dowry. Lady Louisa was no stranger to Ireland when she arrived. Her father had been Lord Lieutenant of Ireland from 1807 until 1813. The Duke was a heavy drinker and the family lived extravagantly while in Ireland but were unable to maintain their estate Goodwood and moved to Brussels in 1813. It was there at the British Embassy that the famous pre-Waterloo Ball held by Lady Louisa's mother took place. This was later immortalised by Byron. Lady Louisa, who was 12 at the time, was present at the party and helped her godfather, the Duke of Wellington, to buckle on his sword when the call to arms was sounded. Lady Louisa was keenly interested in local welfare and to give employment to women in Inishdeeg. She instituted here one of the first examples of lace industry in Ireland, bringing back from Brussels the necessary tools of the trade and a Fleming woman as an instructor. She had only one child, a girl, Charlotte, who died in 1838 when only a few months old, being smothered or neglected one night by her two nurses. William Ty died in 1878, while Lady Louisa survived him by 22 years and died in March 1900. Although the Ty family still have links with Inishdeeg and Woodstock to this day, after the death of Lady Louisa, they were not as prominent as they had been and were no longer in residence at Woodstock House when it was set ablaze in July 1922 by the Republicans to ensure that the national government could not continue to use the property to garrison their troops. When Lady Louisa died in 1900, thousands turned out to pay their respects. Her funeral in St Mary's Protestant Chapel was attended by the Catholic Bishop of Ossory and one day later another funeral service was held at the neighbouring Catholic Church in Inishdeeg. This unusual sequence of events showed the exceptionally high esteem that Lady Louise was held in by the community. The estate was inherited by her grand-nephew by marriage, a time in Woodstock, except during the summers. 
1917, Edward was tragically murdered during a botched burglary and his heir and son Brian, then only four, inherited. By 1913, most of the huge estate, which extended into Carlow, Tipperary and Westmeath, had been sold off to the tenant farmers under successive land acts, so that by 1922 it was reduced to about 1,300 acres. Since 1926, Woodstock Park and the rest of the property owned by the Thai estate has been leased to Quilche, who now have all the lands planted to forestry. Subsequently, the abandoned gardens at Woodstock House were gifted by the Thai family to the Kilkenny County Council in 2000 to enable them to be restored to their former glory and are now open to visitors to enjoy the tranquility of their unique setting overlooking the River Nore near Inishteeg. That's just about it for this evening's episode of The History Show. Thanks for tuning in and I hope you'll join me again at the final episode in the current series of The History Show here on KCLR when we'll be wrapping up our look back at the burning of Woodstock House as well as examining the Coolbawn ambush and the project that was funded last year to further research the area. As always, feel free to contact me at any time on our email address, thehistoryshow at kclr96fm.com. And I do hope that you'll enjoy next week's episode, uh, our last episode, as I said, and uh, Eddie Cody will be back with us, of course. And Eddie, uh, such a knowledgeable man, and uh, I'm so happy that he did speak to me. And uh, as is normally the case in the editorial process of things, it was so hard to cut it down, we had to have him on twice. But until next week, it's a very good evening for me. Thanks for inviting me into your homes, as always. Owen Carey's up next with Fully Loaded, and I will talk to you next Tuesday night here on The History Show. Turning the clock back to 1922, you're listening to The History Show on KCLR with thanks to the Heritage Office of Kilkenny County Council and the Commemorations Unit of the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Geltacht, Sport and Media.